And I'm not going to hold you real long today because I know some of you are wanting to go to the visitation or to the funeral. Amen. The funeral is at 1 o'clock at Brother Sullivan's church. John chapter 12, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Wouldn't you like to have been at that table? Lazarus being brought back from life, sitting there having supper with you? Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Then took Mary, and this is in, in, in the four Gospels, there's different debates on who Mary was. In this Gospel, the Gospel of John, Mary was, was presumed to be the sister of Martha, the, the sister to, to Lazarus. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. This was a very expensive perfume uh, back in the day. I think they, if you, in the day's currency, it was like $10,000 worth of perfume. Anybody ever bought a $10,000 bottle of perfume? Anybody ever bought a $10 Walmart bottle? I do that a lot. So. Anybody still use British Sterling? Please don't raise your hand, guys. <laughs> then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? That sounds like a legitimate question, doesn't it? Like when we could have fed a lot of people. That wasn't his motive. In verse 6, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put it therein. In other words, he was robbing from the till. He was, he was getting his hand in the bag. He was keeping the money, but he was stealing. And he was upset because here was a bunch of money that was spent rubbing, anointing Jesus' feet. That could have went in the bag where he could have got his hands on it. Amen? That's what it's saying. Verse 7, Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. He's trying to tell them about what was getting ready to happen with the crucifixion. Verse 9, Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of many, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. What was being said here? They were not only coming to kill Jesus or to plot against Jesus, they needed to kill Lazarus because Lazarus had such a powerful testimony that people would hear his testimony and go out believing on Jesus. So they were out to kill Lazarus and Jesus. Verses 1 through 11 talks, uh, to me it's a story of true worship during this part. True worship. Judas was saying, no, 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 it costs too much. But if you really want true worship, it's going to cost you something. Somebody say amen. True worship of anything will cost you something. If you worship somebody and you're in a relationship, you're not going to be, it's not going to be cheap. You're going to be taking them out to dinner. You're going to be sending flowers. You're going to be doing something. It's going to cost you some money if you are in a true relationship. 
if you worship that person. Does anybody here worship anybody sitting next to you? I worship my wife. She worships me. She worships the ground I walk on. She, Diane, quit laughing. I hear you all the way over there. She, she'll take her coat off and lay it down when I just walk. I mean, I mean just, no. I'm just, but true worship will cost you. A relationship will cost you if you worship somebody. If you worship a hobby, and we all have hobbies and pastimes, but if hunting is one of your passions, guess what? You're going to spend money on that. Right? So if you worship, and I know people that worship hunting, when deer season comes around, don't mess with them. They're going to be hunting. I won't be at church probably, Pastor. I want to be in a deer stand. At that point, I try to cut deals with them saying, if that's going to happen anyway, I want some deer jerky. So make sure you get something. But it's going to cost you some money. If you love fishing, you're going to go out and buy you a big old bass boat or something. You're going to have to spend some money if you worship fishing. You say, well, I don't worship hunting or fishing. Well, when you do it every Sunday morning, guess what you're worshiping? You're worshiping that. It becomes an idol to you. If you worship golf, you're going to spend a lot of money playing golf, traveling around, playing in tournaments. If you worship boating or skiing or anything on the lake, you're going to find time. You're going to be at the lake. And you're, it's, going, it's going to take your worship. Worship is when you put something. I mean, you're putting it first. You're putting it first above anything. Some people worship your house. Some people worship their landscaping. Not me. I go out, if I look at it, it'll die, so I can't worship it, man. i got to stay away from the landscape. But, but some people worship their landscaping to where, okay, I can't come to church, I can't come to worship, I can't do anything for God, I've got to stay in my yard and work all these hours. But they worship their yard that much. And I love a good-looking yard. I love to mow my yard when I can. And, and uh, this year I, I may not be able to mow every time I want to mow. It'll be the first year I haven't done it, but I've always mowed my yard. But uh, you know what? I don't, I don't worship it. Some people say, "Man, it's it's my it's if you walk on my yard, I'm going to shoot you," you know, type of thing. No, I don't worship my yard. I don't worship my house, and I don't worship my truck or car. Some people do. If you look at my truck, you can tell I don't worship my truck. I don't wash it enough. True worship of Jesus Christ will cost you, just like she was willing to give ten thousand dollars worth of perfume. True worship will cost you your time. How many knows time is the most precious commodity that we have? When I was at Ponderosa and managing there, uh, people kept asking. As a matter of fact, I had to give a seminar at Trover Clinic one time. Uh, they asked me to come and teach them how to retain employees by starting them out minimum wage. I had 80 employees at Ponderosa. Some of them were with me 15, 18 years. Some of them started at minimum wage, and if you know restaurant business, it don't climb very high. How are you retaining them, they asked me. What is the secret to retaining them? I said, it's not the money. People are more concerned with time. If you can have enough employees on your schedule to be able to give them what they need, to be off with their family when they need to be, to go to school when they need to be, when they have a, if they're in a sports program, if you can give them enough time, they're going to be loyal to you and they're going to hang with you. And that's, that's truth. So, true worship will cost you time, though. 
It's going to cost you time when you, when you stop what you're getting. You, know, you get up on a beautiful Saturday morning and you want to jump out there and do whatever you're going to do, but you stop for a moment and you take time to read the Bible for 30 minutes. True worship will cause you to do that. Somebody say amen. True worship will, will take your energy. When you don't feel like it, when you don't feel like coming on Wednesday nights, when you don't feel like serving a, the meal on Wednesday nights. I've seen my mother that, that, that had back surgery and has a hard time getting around sometimes that she will make it here on Wednesdays at 2.30 to help prepare the meal. She don't feel like it. But true worship, that's worship to her. Coming and doing what she can do for God, that's true worship. It, it, it's requiring her energy. And we have some that's got abundant energy that, energy that sits back and, and just won't do anything. True worship requires money. Every time we fill the van up with, with gas, every time we, we spend money on those vehicles to go pick up children, that's worship to God. Somebody say amen. That's true worship. We are reaching people for God. We are going to get them to get to, to get to a place where they can hear the Word of God. That's true worship. When we feed them every week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, that is true worship. It costs money. True worship will cost money. Whatever you worship, you're going to spend money on. But there's always going to be a Judas standing by and says it costs too much. It costs too much to run that van. It costs too much to pick up those kids. It costs too much to feed all those children every week. Can I tell you, because we've been faithful in doing it, God is now blessing us beyond measure to be able to keep doing it. Somebody say amen. True worship. What a story of true worship with Mary bowing down, anointing the feet of Jesus with a costly perfume and then wiping his feet with her hair. That was on the day before he entered into Jerusalem. He enters into Jerusalem on a Sunday, Palm Sunday, we, we presume. John 12 and 12 says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they had heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, which means in the Hebrew, save Save us, or saved by us, or saved by you. It also means when it says, "Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord." When you look back in, in Psalms one eighteen, it talks about. Let's just turn. Let's just go there real quick. Psalm one eighteen, verse twenty four. It wasn't just a bunch of words being said. Blessed be the, he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Psalm one eighteen and twenty four said, "This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it." Psalm 118 and 26 says, Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. 24 about being this is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Refers to Israel's great day of restoration. Israel will then acknowledge on that great day that it's not all about Israel, that it is about the Lord. It will be a day of great rejoicing and gladness when that takes place. Israel's coming back to the knowledge of God. Somebody say amen. We must continue to pray for Israel. One eighteen and 26, when it said, Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ will once again, after this time, ride into Jerusalem, come into Jerusalem, and Israel will shout the words all over again. But the difference will be then Israel will be a redeemed Israel because they will now know who Christ is. Right now they know about Christ. They don't have a relationship with Christ like we do. They're going, they're going to have. It's going to be restored. 
things that God intended for Israel. Okay, real quick. He comes into Jerusalem. The crowds are crazy. Man, they had thousands of people because this was the, fact, the week of the Passover. In that crowd, no doubt, there were, there were those that had been healed. There were those that had been at that place whenever they fed the 5,000. And, and it was a miracle that took place there. There was the blind man possibly in that crowd that had been healed. The deaf and dumb man. The, the one, those that had been raised from the dead. The sick with the, that had been sick with the palsy. Those delivered from demonic possession. All those were standing around. Jairus, the dad of the girl that was dead but Jesus raised up, was in that crowd probably. The crowd that was there knew of Jesus and all He had done. And they were quick to shout, Blessed be He who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus enters in, on, into Jerusalem that day. And He goes to the temple and He looks around. Mark 11, 11. Mark 11, 11. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked around about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow when they were coming to Bethany, he was hungry. We'll stop right there. He went into the temple looking around, scoping things out. The temple was supposed to be a holy place dedicated to God. But it was everything but a holy place. Can I tell you, the temple was so important. Israel, it was set up to be what, what the temple was, was, was a reflection of what Israel was. Or what Israel was would, would reflect to what the temple would be. The temple had become corrupt. Israel had become corrupt. Israel was, how many times did they break covenant with God? How many times did they stop doing what, what they were supposed to be doing and come against what God was wanting? Israel had become corrupt, so the temple was corrupt. And Jesus entered the temple and noticed all this stuff going on. Listen to me. A nation is judged. A nation is judged by its worship. Israel was worshiping some things. And the temple was reflecting that. Our nation is judged sometimes by being a mighty military might. Our, our nation is judged by, by financial status. Our nation is judged by freedom of choice. But it should be judged by our worship. Somebody say amen. Our nation should be founded in about our worship to God. But it's everything but... The temple was everything but. It was not a holy place. On Monday we find that, that Jesus went by a fig tree and cursed it. All of that was, was, was a preview of the destruction of Israel and the temple of the temple in Israel. Verse 15 we find in that same chapter, verse 15, and they came to Jerusalem. And Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. The temple had become a place, instead of being a holy place, had been, become a place where... Amen. Let's pray for them as they go to the funeral. I know they're going. In Jesus' name, we speak peace to them. Let them say something good to the family. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. The temple had become a place of money changers. The temple had become a place of a scam going on. So what are you talking about, Brother Gary? The feast of the Passover was taking place. They had to be bringing in a perfect sacrifice to be offered. That perfect sacrifice, it couldn't have a blemish one. But on the trip to Jerusalem, many people, things would happen to their sacrifices. It would maybe get scratched up, or maybe something would happen and be bruised up, or something would happen where it would not be a perfect sacrifice. So therefore, when they got to Jerusalem, they had to buy a sacrifice. 
in the temple there was a scam being taken place where that was supply and demand. If Chris was bringing a lamb that was, that was worth, maybe he bought it for $100, when he got to Jerusalem and had to buy another lamb, I was charging him ten times that, so all of a sudden that lamb was $1,000. The doves were an acceptable sacrifice. If you buy a, bought a dove for a quarter in another town or brought it with you, when you got to the temple, it was now selling for $4. There was a scam taking place. Jesus enters into the temple and said, enough is enough. And he turns over the tables and turns over. He gets mad and, and chases out the money changers. How many knows that we have corruptness in our churches today? We have corruptness in our churches today. Can I say you right now that we are the temple of God? We individually are the temple of God. Yes, we come together in a building and we call it a sanctuary or a temple. Can I tell you we are the temple of God? If if there's corruptness in the church, it's because there's corruptness in us. Somebody say amen. So what tables in your life does Jesus need to come and turn over and chase out of your life so that you can be the temple that he wants you to be? So he chases out the money changers, cleanses the temple. We need a cleansing in our church world today. Somebody say amen. We need a cleansing within ourselves. So he went on Tuesday and Wednesday and he taught and more miracles took place. He was questioned by the chief priests and scribes and elders. On Thursday was the Last Supper and, and we find that, that, that during the Last Supper, John 13 and 21, we find that there was going to be a betrayal. When Jesus had heard thus said he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. There was going to be a betrayal. We know that that was Judas. He, 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 he let Peter understand who it was. He knew it was going to be Judas. Judas left the scene. And then we find Peter saying all kinds of things to Jesus in, in 36 through 38. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Will thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Can I tell you right now, Peter was saying, like many of us say, Jesus, you can depend on me. But yet Jesus knew that he was getting ready to be denied by, by Peter three times. We find in chapter 18, verse 1, that Judas, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where it was, there was a garden into which he entered and his disciples, which is Gethsemane. Go on, verse 2. Probably didn't give that to you. Can you find verse 2 for me? And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas turned him into the soldiers. Go on down to verse 17. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art thou not also one of those the men, man's disciples? He saith, I am not. That was his first denial. Second, in verse 25, and Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, and they said, Therefore, unto him, art 
not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. And in verse 27, Peter then denied again, and immediately after he did, the cock crew. Can I tell you right now, Jesus had told him, you're going to deny me three times, and then the cock's going to crow. And it happened. The same people, after Jesus was arrested, and when he came before Pilate, the same people that were standing there, some of the same ones that were healed, some of the same ones that were delivered, some of those same people that were raised from the dead even, stood in a mob of people, and when they were offering Barabbas to him to take Jesus' place, said, no, give us Barabbas, and started shouting, crucify Jesus. The same ones just a few days earlier on Palm Sunday, when he rode into Jerusalem, the same ones started shouting, crucify him. You say, well, how can that be? I want to tell you how it can be. Because peer pressure will, not just in kids, but peer pressure in adults will cause you to change your story. Peer pressure will cause you to change your outlook on Jesus Christ. Peer pressure will cause you to do some silly things. That mob that day, standing next to somebody, one person starts shouting crucify, then they all start shouting crucify, and then all of a sudden the smell of blood came. Can I tell you right now, it became so much peer pressure standing in that mob, no one was going to say, no, give us Barabbas. They went along with it. Today I want to ask you, how many of you are going to, how many of you have changed your story? How many of you are saying crucify? You say, well, I would never do that. Can I tell you right now? Yes, you will. And yes, you do sometimes. Because every time you willfully sin, you are saying crucify Him all over again. Every time. Not just making a mistake, but when you when you know that something is wrong and you do it anyway, you're saying crucify Him again. Crucify. Say, well, I'm going to never do that. You do it. We've all done it. When we realize what we've done, we need to say, Lord, forgive us and repent and move forward. Judas sold Jesus out. We sell Jesus out many times every time we sin. We sell Jesus out every time we put things in front of Him, money in front of Him, and things that we worship. We sell Jesus out every time we can't come to church and can't work for the Lord and have to work and make a living. You say, well, I can't help it. I've got to work and make a living. Can I tell you right now, if you'll come to me and say, I cannot attend church service. I cannot be there because I'm working. I've got to make a living. I will arrange a time that me and you will get together. We'll come out here and I'll open the door and we will worship together. But how many will actually do that? Say, well, okay, I'll, I'll take the money. And I'll, I'll, I'll come out there, Brother Gary, and we'll worship. How many would actually do that? We sell Jesus out. We say, well, gee, I, I can't be at church. I, I can't do this for God. I've got to work. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I'm telling you right now, these doors are open. You can come and worship in this church anytime. I'll make sure of it. Somebody say amen. Peter denied Christ. How many times when you're confronted about your salvation do you... Just not speak up. If I'm not speaking up, you're actually denying. How many times do you keep quiet and hope that nobody notices that you're a Christian? Does peer pressure make you shout crucify? What does your actions shout out? What does your lifestyle shout out? 
We must be saying Hosanna, which means save us. We must be saying blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There must not be any compromise. There must not be any selling out of our salvation. No more denying Christ as our Lord. A lot happened during Holy Week. A lot happened during this week of passion. On our minds this week, I want us to keep on our minds what Jesus went through this week. We're going to shout Sunday, man. We're going to have a shouting time in here on Easter. I'm going to tell you right now. Right now, I want you to, in your mind, I want you to understand and, and see in your mind what Jesus went through, the beatings that he took and, the, and what he went through being crucified for you. In your mind, I want you to get a good image of him being with those cat of nine tails. When, when they laid into him and that flesh came back out every time they would jerk it back. In your mind, I want you to see the blood splattering all over everyone standing around watching. In your mind, I don't want you to forget what he went through this week for you and I. Somebody say amen. I want us to stay humbled this week. I want us to stay in prayerful attitude this week. You say, Brother Gary, you're, you're putting a damper on. Man, I want to shout. I do too. And I'm going to. And I do. But never should I forget what he went through in this week. For you and I. Somebody say amen. He didn't stay in the tomb, but we're going to get into all that next Sunday. But he went through so much for us this week. Is there corruptness in your temple? Do you need a cleansing? This is a good week to do it. Are you denying Christ? Have you denied Christ? Have you lied to him? Have you have you sold him out? Only you know that. Candace, come to the piano if you would. This morning is serious.